0: This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro.
1: This Washington Post Live podcast is presented by Lando Lakes. We are a farmer-owned co-op reimagining our food system to feed human progress. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On March 9th, the Washington Post brought together local Austin chefs entrepreneurs, and thought leaders for a series of discussions about the future of food and issues at the intersection of culinary culture and broader social justice movements. In this segment, three local chefs explain how they are preserving the rich and unique culinary traditions of Austin while staying on the cutting edge of food and restaurant culture. Let's listen. Um, I love this. It's like the modern salon, you know, there's like a beer garden outside and mimosas and we're sitting in here talking about big ideas. This is fantastic. Um, I'm Mary Beth Albright and I am the host of Food Video at the Washington Post. I'm also the host of a series called Food Hacks at the Washington Post. And I have to say that before last week we had an award-winning panel and after last week we have three... Once again, James Beard, semifinalists as of last week, yes. All three of you, and you're in their individual categories, yeah. Bryce and Michael, you can, like, have it out and see, you know. <laughs> Take it outside. Um, we, have, we have to my left Bryce Gilmore, who is the owner and executive chef of Barley Swine, yes, Odd Duck, yep. and Sour Duck Market. Yep. Thank you for being here.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Uh, this is amazing. Um, Laura Sawicki, who is the co-owner, co-owner and pastry chef of Laundrette.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: I'm thrilled <laughs> that you're here. This is so fun. And this is Michael Vaudige, who is the executive chef and owner of Olame, which is also his daughter's name.
0: Yes. And he just had a baby. my name right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's, um, he just had a baby, too, 11 days ago. A little sure. boy yep. named Burns, and we decided that can't be the name of his next restaurant.
0: No way.
1: Yeah, because that's... <laughs> thanks, Bryce! That's <laughs> Appreciate uh, that. Um, so there's something about Austin, right? I mean, you grew up here, Bryce. You grew up, Michael, in Dallas. You've been here for a long time, it, Laura. Th- for, you know, for years now, before people started looking at it as a culinary destination, you have been cooking here and this has been your home your dad w- was cooking here owns restaurants here people talk about Austin as if it's of it's not of Texas but I find that agriculturally culinarily it actually is very much of Texas and I'd love it if you can talk about you know what is it about Austin what is it about Texas
2: yeah um, you know I think we, we really started seeing a change to about ten years ago with a lot of the growth that's happening right now so it's um it's pretty interesting to see, but the difference now between then, but uh, we, um, we have a lot of great people here. There's a lot of creative entrepreneurial spirits here that um, are doing some really cool things, and it's attracting a lot of people here, and uh, it's a cool city. I mean, people, people want to move here. I, I see it. I, mean, I, I kind of grew up here, so I don't really, I'm used to it, I guess, so trying to have a perspective from being somebody from outside of it is a little hard for me, but um, I'm very proud of this city. We have a lot of amazing people, a lot of things um, that... Um, are going very well for us, and it's, a, it's been a thriving city for a long time. And I know happy to be a part a, of it.
1: I know you work with a lot of shat, uh, a lot of farmers. Um, and Texas is known as a place with a lot of big farms. Do you find that it's um, more difficult to work with large farms, or? Um,
2: well, my our philosophy is to try to work with small farms. Um, there are large farms, and um, you know they're they're not ne- they're necessary, obviously. Um, but the small farms is where we need to support them if they're going to survive. And I think that um, that's that's what we're all about, is trying to showcase what these small farms are doing, trying to support them so that it can be a viable uh, option for somebody to get into farming and support their family and make a career out of it. That's what we want. That's what I want to see for the future. If we start seeing the small farms go away, I think we're going to have a hard time uh, with our food system. But... Um, we have some good good farmers here in Austin and uh, the surrounding area, and uh, you know we, we've done what we can to support them and, and hope to keep doing that.
1: Laura, how about you? You came to Austin very deliberately.
3: I did. I came here 10 years ago. Um, Bryce mentioned that that shift really occurred. That was the critical sort of shift, I think, in Austin 10 years ago. Um, what attracted me to this city was really uh, the challenges of living in New York, and it was so fun and cutthroat, and I really loved the spirit and energy that Austin had. It really is a city rooted in hospitality, and it felt like a very natural change to be able to come here and help grow what was becoming a very exciting food scene in its infancy. So that was really fun. It's been really wonderful to see it change. The trajectory of growth and evolution has like increased so tremendously in the last 10 years, and predominantly maybe the last like six or so. It's been a really exciting time to see it. You know, with Michael moving here and Bryce opening more restaurants, there's just so much happening in town.
1: Well, and a lot of it has been has been drawn by your um, your very innovative desserts, your Girl Scout cookie. I
3: oh, love those guys. <laughs> Thank you for not saying birthday cake, ice cream sandwiches. Uh, but, well, obviously your birthday cake, ice cream sandwiches, yes. But also the Girl Scout. The Girl cookie. Scout cookies were fun. Um, I developed that because I would like to think about um, what would I want to eat. You know, just have like a fun, delicious little bite of something sweet. Um, I actually don't have a sweet tooth, but I was a brownie growing up. And I was the cookie queen three years in a row. <laughs> um, and so I developed that dish and I secretly was like, I hope the Girl Scouts of America don't write give me a seasoned desist. you know? <laughs> <laughs> Fully just in the spirit of their organization <laughs> and my childhood memories. So it was pretty hilarious.
1: And, and they are very complimented by They your were. Girl they wrote Scout me a letter of
3: some troop in I I don't remember what town from the East Coast. They wrote me a letter with all their names and photographs, and the kids were super excited and I think that's great. really supportive. Um, and Michael, one of the things that I love on your website, on the Oleme
1: website, um, there's a quote um, by the founder of the Southern Foodways Alliance about. This is going to get a little thinky, but stay with me. About Southern food being the lingua franca of America, meaning our common language. Like when you, when, when people don't have a, a common food sort of language or a common food history, everybody loves Southern food, right? I mean. You can go to Montana and people love southern food. You can go to Philly and people love southern food. And so I think that idea is so interesting. And so taking your, your childhood in Dallas, taking your time here in Austin, and taking that cultural heritage but also interpreting it, how do you do that? And how do you stay true to the cultural heritage?
0: Well, I th- for me, um, I stay close to the Southern Foodways Alliance. John T. Edge, who you speak of as a friend and a mentor in a lot of ways. Um, and he also talks about, uh, he has another quote. That quote's from his book, Potlicker Papers, which if, if you haven't read it, it's remarkable. Um, but he also has a quote about how Southern food uh, contains multitudes, um, kind of a Whitman nod. And um, Southern food is so many things. Uh, and I think that um, for me, people, uh, I am doing much what Laura talks about, is like trying to reference my past. Ola May is my mother's name, my grandmother's name, my great, my great great grandmother's first name. They're all from a small town in Tennessee, um, so I grew up going back there in the summers, and that's my connection to the food. Um, and so that's how I, you know, that I try to reference history. I try to, you know, we're all three of us are storytellers, um, and I think that that's, you know that's that's how you come with authenticity you know that's if you, if you base it in something that's real for you yeah. then you're gonna have the opportunity to represent yourself in a way that that feels accurate I,
1: I love what you just said you're all storytellers because I think that's absolutely right and I think that telling the stories that we tell through food whether you're a chef whether you're a producer whether you're a farmer I think that's exactly what you write or whatever that's exactly what we do What kind of stories do you try to tell? Through your food. I mean, Laura talked a little bit about the Girl Scout cookie, but there's, you know, every. I ate at Olame last night and I had a luck and money. Yes, no, it was um, wonderful. Everybody's restaurant, as are everybody's restaurants. But, um, you know, there, there are. What stories do you try to tell through your food?
2: Uh, I think for us, um, we always say our restaurants are a reflection of a time and place and the people that work there. Um, you know, that's how we. Like to think that we stay relevant um, over the years is things are going to change every every season um, with the product that's available from us from the farms. Um, the people that are working there at the time are creating. There, you know, I'm I just take all the credit for everyone else's hard work <laughs> at the restaurants. Um, so we've got some great sous chefs and chefs that are that are creating the food over there at all three restaurants now, and um, I'm super proud of what they're doing, and you know in a couple of years there's going to be a new group of chefs coming in and, and doing their thing. So, I mean, we're taking influences from all over the world, and, you know, we'll just, a lot of it is regional. We are, you know, in Austin, so there's a lot of kind of Tex-Mex flair going on there. But, um, you know, it's all about the people doing the day-to-day work and uh, what inspires them and what influences them, and, you know, we can draw from all over the world as long as we're using the products that are available to us from the local farms. You know, things are going to change uh, year-round throughout, throughout the seasons, and, you um, that's our story. We we are who we are in the time and place, and and um, that's who we always will be.
1: And I know that all three of you have spoken out about food access um, for people in Austin, for people uh, and sustainability, um, for people who work in your businesses. I mean, you're employers to a lot of people. Um, so how do you engage in the community, and how do you make sure that that food storytelling doesn't end? You know, at the at the diner, how does it continue out into the community?
2: Right. I
0: I could speak uh, for us. You know, it's important that we put our money where our mouth is. We like to talk about community. We like to talk about uh, how we want to get out there and support the community. And in Austin, there's a lot of opportunity to do that. Um, and I feel like, uh, I mean, I imagine this. This group here in this next year will do uh, combined probably 100 events uh, supporting various uh, you know groups like the Austin Food Wine Alliance uh, that provides grants to the small farmers that, that we talk about, um, to other groups that support causes that we genuinely care about. Um, and I think we can
1: all get behind the Austin Food Wine Alliance, yes? <laughs> <laughs> Phan- yes, yes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and and so, and I'm sure in every city there's a lot of opportunity, but it does feel like in Austin um, there are two parts of the year where we really have the opportunity to do these things, and um, basically it's the fall and the spring, and it's all you can handle. And so um, uh, this group in particular, I mean... I see them all the time at events and and donating and stuff like that. I mean, it's just a part of the fabric of what we do.
1: Well, when we were back in the green room, all three of you, when you saw each other, just hugged
3: each other. You were, oh,
1: congratulations on your baby. Congratulations on beard nomination. It was just, it was very lovely and chummy.
3: Austin still captures that small town spirit as much as we're growing and evolving. And I think that's something that all of our restaurants try to capture is that sense of hospitality. It's at the forefront of what my partners and I envision for our restaurants. We want to make sure that... People come in and feel welcomed and feel supported, and then walk out the door with that same sense of love and comfort and all those things. So um, I think as storytellers, we want to continue to tell that story and have that resonate with our guests when they leave. And I think doing some of these events that we talk about is an opportunity to sort of reignite that conversation with them and and, and, um, and have people just exposed to what the visions of the restaurants are and little experiences um, in a more holistic way and getting to experience all of it together.
2: Yeah, I was yeah, gonna say I uh, you know I there's a question I get a lot is uh, you know wh- how do you feel about the growth of Austin do you, are you are you worried about it are you scared that it's going to be different than it has been cuz you know we, we used to be keep Austin weird and it's maybe getting a little less weird with everyone moving here but um, do something weird. Yeah. So <laughs> that
1: it, so that it's a, everybody do something weird <laughs> right now. <laughs> yes. Yes, queen. Yes.
2: So my, my, my answer is, is always like, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of, you have to accept it. And I think uh, growth is inevitable when you have a great city like this. It's yeah. um, what we have to think about is we have an opportunity to kind of steer that growth in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. And I think by supporting, continuing to support small businesses that are from here in Austin, keeping the money here, um, you know, supporting the people that are doing like creative and cool things, that's going to keep the spirit of Austin alive. And I think that we all, you know, when we're trying to contribute to the community, that's what we're doing. And, and any, any ch- chance we have to, to support the small local guys, um, that's what we do and that's what we have to do if we want to keep Austin what it is.
1: And I saw that definitely, um, or I see that whenever I go out in Austin um, in the service too. And I wonder what the family meals are like um, at your restaurants when you all sit around and eat together before or after service. Um, <laughs> do you complain about us? Do you complain about the diners? No, no, no. That's no.
3: not... That, we don't have that culture in our restaurant at okay, all. Okay, yeah. good. No, not at all. No,
2: it's all the cooks on their phones looking at Instagram when they <laughs> have two things. Yeah. 5 minutes <laughs> adjustment. That's what it is. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Well, what do you serve? What do you like to serve? Do you... Do you everybody seems very knowledgeable. Like, all the servers seem very knowledgeable about wow. all the food and stuff. So, everybody seems really well-versed in everything you're making.
2: Uh yeah, you have to you have to train the staff and you know to, yeah uh, right. feed them and, yeah. and show them what you're doing. Yeah,
0: yeah I mean family, family meal uh is like the way we look at it is an opportunity to nourish each other. Um, uh, we have in, in the way that we do it. Um, and and the first and foremost is it has to be good every day. Like that's just the flatline expectation. Um, and if it's not good, then there will be suggestions made about how to make it better. Um, No one's ever shamed, but uh, (laughs) it's like, hey, you know, maybe we could have cooked that rice a little less or, you know, something like that. But um, from the perspective of it's our time to sit down and be together, um, sometimes being together does mean being standing next to each other uh, or sitting next to each other and and looking at our phones. But also, like, for me at least, like, when I sit down with the team, I, I don't talk about work. Like, I don't talk about... What's going to happen in an hour when service starts, or an hour and a half when service starts? I try to have a moment where we're just sitting there together,
3: being real people. Yeah, just
0: you know, being people talking mm-hmm. about stupid stuff. Um, and and it's Im- it's imperative that uh, you have it's, at least for us, it's imperative that you have that moment together uh, in order to kind of charge up for what you're about to do.
3: There's also an opportunity for the staff to get to sit and enjoy some time with us in like a real person to person, human way and just have that dialogue. So um, we also see family meals an opportunity for the cooks who may not necessarily, um, I mean they're cooking our food every day and they're doing the same thing and hit the grind every day. It's an opportunity for them to share their creative voice with their team as well and to do something fun, have a good time doing it. So we like to assign a different um, cook every day to do it so they know what they're getting themselves into. They have the opportunity every week to like take a look at what's in the walk-in and assess and try to do something amazing.
1: It reminds me of um, Danny Meyer has um, the, uh, he trains, he pays for his busboys and his dishwashers, to, bus, but busers and dishwashers to take um, English English as a second language courses so that they can promote from within. But it's that same kind of like human connection that it's not just like, okay, chop onions for eight hours every day for the next, you know, however many years you're here. Um, so it's that human connection.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, as storytellers, everything that we're trying to do has to have soul, right? And if you don't um, engage with people together, then there is no soul. You don't there that opportunity doesn't present itself. So um, I think that if, if if we're smart, we take advantage of those, albeit small moments, uh, to capitalize on that on that process.
1: So back in October, there was a city ordinance that passed that. No restaurant, no food service establishments can throw away any organic waste. Um, so you can't throw any food. You have to either donate it or compost it. Or um, had you already been doing that? Have, have did it affect you? Do you see that it affects the city? Because it's a it's a really big step, and it's um, part of Austin's way to be sustainable. I think it's uh, sustainability by twenty forty. And so did that affect you? Do you How's it working out?
2: For us, um, we we've been doing it since we started. Um, even in the when I opened the trailer ten years ago, I had a compost bin in the back that they came and picked out every picked up every week. Um, for
1: those who don't know, Odd Duck began as a food trailer. Yeah. Bryce started it as a food trailer. He had it for years and then opened it as yeah. a brick and mortar.
2: Um, so we, I mean, that's kind of part of our philosophy: is no waste. You know, support local. Um, so, from the beginning, we've been doing it. Uh, my, my brother, who's one of my partners in the businesses, he, uh, he does all the finances and all the paperwork. He, uh, he's just kind of upset because nothing's changed for us other than more paperwork for him. Um, <laughs> so, it's really... It's really it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad the city's trying to, to push for this. Um, you know, I think we would like to see more of an incentivized way of doing it rather than forcing everybody to do it because it's going to be very hard for certain restaurants to... Execute it. They just don't have the infrastructure to, to well, do it. But.
1: That's interesting because, of course, all three of you own high higher end restaurants. But then, if you think about restaurants that, as you right. said, might not have the infrastructure to do it, yeah. how do you help them do it? How does the restaurant community help them to do right. it?
2: So we'll see. We, we'll see how how the how it works for everyone. And um, but uh, I'm I'm glad we're doing it. I mean, we it's something we should have done years ago. Um, for the city to. It did come it.
3: up, I think, back in like. Yeah, they've been talking 20, about it for a while. I feel like 2014, I think, was the original deadline. We opened La Condesa. It, cer- it was a certified green restaurant. We've been doing it from day one as well. Um, it took a little bit of time to get the program initiated at Launderette, but um, it was not without trying. It's incredibly important. I compost at my home as well, and I've always done that. So something that we can, our principles that we already have, it's wonderful to see that the city is moving in that direction. Like Bryce said, it would be nice if there was maybe a little bit more education and resources involved for other people to sort of have a larger understanding of how that could work.
1: So, Michael, you were talking about all the five relatives who are named Olame. I assume that they've had big influences on you and your cooking. Um, were they the biggest food influencers on you?
0: Oh, most certainly. I mean, my mom is, is the reason why I love food. Uh, that's why I chose... Uh, chose to name the restaurant after her uh, because that's she was my true connection I mean as a kid when we traveled the conversation when we got home was not you know it was like how was vacation oh the food was good I mean it, <laughs> right. you know every every place was rated up by kind of our experience with food um, and so yeah we um, that's what feels like the most uh, authentic way to to talk about my connection is through through my mother and through my grandmother uh, most certainly
1: and she uh, cooked too, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: my grandmother didn't cook a ton, um, but my mom is is a is a very very capable cook. Uh, and um, and also my mother has uh, always tells me about uh, how she feels about her experiences at the restaurant and what,
2: <laughs> whether
0: or
3: not, in a very thoughtful manner
0: <laughs> um, whether or not we're executing to the level of Absolutely. expectation that we should.
3: Wait, do all of you have this experience? Uh. 1,000%. <laughs> My mom fancies herself maybe a food critic now, she <laughs> really feels that she's in the industry as well. It's phenomenal, but she's she's brutally honest, always coming from a very um, constructive perspective. She loves everything that I do. Of course. Of course. Absolutely. Um, but she, she loves to go out to eat, we've spent, as Michael just said, every single family um, experience other was eating breakfast and talking about where we were going to have lunch. And when we were having lunch, where were we going to have dinner? And when we were have dinner, what are we going to do tomorrow for breakfast? And I come from an Argentine and Jewish family, and it was just, food was always at the core of everything. Every moment in our lives was surrounded, about, uh, surrounded around food. My grandmother always, to, to the point where she had dementia and was in the hospital, she was 90 years old, and would say to me, if I knew you were coming, I would have made you blintzes, I would have made you something to eat, and I was like you know this is how i grew up and this is the importance that food plays in our lives really special to us yeah
1: i, I have to ask about something you said earlier which is that you don't have much of a sweet tooth mm-hmm. i i feel Disney like potato I, chips french fries i feel oh. like i have a i hear that a lot from pastry chefs
3: yes it's true what what what's what is it with that i love the craft what i do i absolutely love it i love the invention i love the composition of it all, I just enjoy the experience of sharing that with other people. But of course I taste, 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 taste. When I'm changing a menu, I'm like, oh god, every day. I have to taste this 17 times before I'm happy with it. I'll work on a recipe 30 times before I'm content with it. Um, so I think because of my diligent nature and my meticulous nature, I just have had enough. By the time the dessert hits the table, I just can't. Yeah. This doesn't appeal to me, but salt, oh my god. I literally can dip my finger in salt and just be content. Well, I feel like if I ever see a recipe for dessert, I just
1: double the salt um, automatically, Absolutely. no matter There's what. Just oh, that—that's the rule. Just double the salt. Yeah. Always. That's why you so love all awesome. of me last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe the butter too. I don't know. Oh, the butter. Forget about it. Um, Bryce, how do you create? How do you stay true to these like Southern heritage? the Southern heritage and also just innovate and create new dishes and which you're always doing.
2: Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I mean, I think we all, we've got a lot of great cooks and chefs that work for us. So we all kind of bounce ideas off of each other. We're all bringing uh, influences and things from, from our own past. And, and um, so it's fun to work with and collaborate with um, these young creative people that are trying to make a name for themselves too. Yeah. Um, but uh you know, we, we're, it's part of the process. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic in sometimes, but it's it's but um, it can be challenging with the seasons, you know. I mean, you, you, have, you have an idea of uh, trying to come up with a dish and make sure that you have the product available um, from the farms. And sometimes, you know, a freeze happens and you lose all that, so you have to change the menu real, real fast. Um, so we're always kind of on our toes, kind of thinking about what the next thing is uh, which is good it keeps us keeps us involved and uh, and always kind of thinking about what direction we want the menu to go and and um, but we're, it's it's non-stop it's, we're always kind of having well to that's and that's you know
0: I think living in this world where where we work so specifically with small producers like we have to be nimble and and what that causes is like when you run out of something then you have to find something else and it just Facil- it facilitates creativity um, and forces your hand. And so, um, we would never change the way we do, partially because what Bryce talked about earlier, and like a, you know, the idea of like local and and that idea, but also like we would never give it up at this point because we've found so many great ideas through the process, um, and it's made us kind of look at things in a new perspective, um, that that we wouldn't change just partially because of the creativity that it, it helps us
2: uh, you know, gain. Yeah, and every, every year we, you know, we work the same ingredients every year pretty much. <laughs> um, it's so you kind of look forward to the next season, what, what's coming up, and we always try to do something new with a certain vegetable or protein or whatever that we want to feature than we've done before. Um, it's very hard after years and years of doing it. It becomes more challenging. Yeah. Um, so sometimes you want to revert back to something that, that was successful maybe a couple years ago. And feature it again, but um, there's always that you want to try to do something you haven't done before. Uh, and then natality. there's some food
1: critic who's like, "Oh,
3: this is what Bryce did two years ago." Ooh. Oh yeah, there's definitely you know. that. But at the same time, that, then there's yeah. guests that are like, "Wow, I had this two years ago. It was my favorite dish too. Yeah, right, <laughs> super right. psyched to have it." <laughs> yeah. Or, or <laughs> someone thinks for
2: someone thinks it's too weird or not creative enough. So you, can't, you can't please everybody. You but, can't please but everybody. We, but we're we, you got to be proud of what you do, and I think um, you know we. It's, it starts with just doing your best, executing it properly. You know, whether it's creative or not, to some people, it's, it's usually needs to be cooked properly, executed well. Uh, that's hard enough uh, sometimes, you know. So um, that's always our priority. But. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I
0: feel like you know that's one of the greatest uh, in this modern age where all the cooks are sitting around at family meal, looking at you know. You know, Laurent cool, and Grah. Cool pictures. Yeah, 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 Laurent Gras or Franson or these restaurants that are high technique and, you know, um, really beautiful food um, that many of us have never had the opportunity to eat a lot of times or whatever. Um, you know, the self-doubt is a natural thing for everyone. Um, some of us are better at pretending that we have it or don't have it. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I appreciate you saying that because, like, man, it's a Pardon me, but it's a mind fuck. I mean, it's kind of like, you're like, am I pushing the boundary enough? Am I good enough? Am I trying, you know? And so...
2: Um, well, you got to, you got to, you gotta. we're competing, you know, with yeah. everyone else. And we got to, we want we want everyone to like our pictures on Instagram more than, than others, you know? And so we got to... But when we you gotta, have that
0: real moment with yourself and you're like, the food is delicious. Yeah. And that's what counts. Yeah. And... And you know, fortunately, on a on a on a bad day, it takes a lot longer to get to that thought, and on a good day, you could get there pretty quick. So yeah.
3: I've had people ask me what my creative process is like, and I'm like, you don't want to write about this. You don't want to know. It's so <laughs> tortured. And I think every time I cycle through this, like depression and questioning my abilities, and am I good enough? And am I am I still relevant? Um, and then I get through to the other side, and I'm like, I had to go through all of that internal challenge to realize. I'm actually very good at what I do. And it's just pushing my creativity harder and further every time.
1: Well, I think everybody has that, right? I mean, if we're all honest, like, let's have an honest, authentic moment. We all feel that way. I mean, everybody in whatever industry we're in and whatever, I mean, everybody who's here is in some sort of creative industry is in some sort of, like, we're trying to create something. We're trying to have big ideas. We're trying to innovate. That's why we're here. Like, that's why we're all, like... Coming on to Austin, sorry, (laughs) apologies for what we're doing in your city. But like, that's why we're all coming here and just talking to each other and trying to create. And I think that's part of the creative process is having that kind of doubt. Um, And I really, I appreciate that you're having that moment because I think it's exactly right. Um, And you know, I just wanna have an Instagram account that's like my half eaten bagels. You know, because it's like that's a lot of times it's like what my life is like. Oh, I forgot that bagel. You know, you don't have to watch it. You don't have to follow it.
0: (laughs) Or, (laughs) or like, or like ideas that didn't work. Yes. Yes. There you
1: go. I mean, because everybody talks about failure, but how about Instagramming about failure? Right. Right. Um, Okay, this is my last question. Chili beans or no?
3: No. (laughs) I know. I'm in Texas. That's what I'm
1: asking. That's why I'm
3: asking. No beans ever. I don't eat a lot of meat, Hold so on. I'm like, yes, we'll I'm be- sorry. Yes. This is like a, I don't. I know it is. is like That's why I. With me, um,
0: that my friends like when I worked in New York, like it's a thing. If it has beans and it looks like chili, it's stew? called southwestern stew. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you heard it here. There's a guy applauding in the back. <laughs> I love it. Yeah.
2: It's funny that you say that, because I'm kind of, I don't really care, um, but um, <laughs> but uh, I have chili on the menu at two of the restaurants, and they have beans in it. Oh. And, and one There's of the, that sour it says, sorry, Texas, in parentheses. So. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I love beans, so it's like, I'll put yeah, beans in sure. anything. Um, in chili, I don't really care. I mean, we're gonna put We need to rewrite, the, lo- rewrite anyways, the rules so. here. We can do whatever we
3: want. Yeah. To be continued. Yeah. It's
2: yeah. Like, I'm not like either, I actually,
0: really uh, emotional about chili in general at all like, <laughs> like i just that's like one of the things i feel is like <laughs> you just you know. had a
1: baby 11 days ago you get you get dispensation on anything thank like you you, you you can get emotional Uh-oh. about anything we don't
0: have much time left
1: uh, yeah i know well thanks to Bryce Gilmore thanks to Laura Sawicki thanks to Michael Fotaje This was amazing. Good luck with your James Beard nominations. Um, I'm Mary Beth Albright. I will be back later with Padma Lakshmi, um, and we're going to move on to the next part of the program. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Oh, yeah. Now you get to watch us take a picture. (laughs) I know, this is fantastic.